uh, this morning. We'll start in verse 1, and uh, we're going to go down to verse 14. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, and let us deal wisely with them. Lest they multiply, and it came to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. I want you to go back to verse 10, okay? Let's read that again. Let's read verse 10 together. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. Lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Now, I'll admit to you this morning, I preached this message, I think, here back in 2016. Most of you weren't here then. The rest of you probably forgot it. But this is where the Lord's, uh, the Lord's really kind of been having this message circulate in my heart. And I I just felt like it was time to preach it this morning. And the title of it is, What If? What If? Father, I pray that you help us this morning. And uh, we all have needs. And we're all facing different things, different challenges. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you speak to our hearts today. Help me, Father, to preach like I've never preached before. Help me to preach with your power. May people... May may people not look at this preacher and see anything but the power of God and be thankful for what you chose to do today. It's not me. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us all to receive and be receptive. And, uh, Lord, we just submit ourselves to you, surrender ourselves to you. Have your perfect way in each of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now you look there in verse 10, and it says, Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest. You see that word, lest? I want you to circle that word. Say, what does that word mean? It means, what if? That's what he's looking at throughout here. Years ago, I heard a pastor tell an incredible story of an experience he had while out on door-to-door visitation. He had knocked on a number of doors... 
and all of them were just, it was a very unfruitful time. There were some that came to the door and were very unkind and did not, were not receptive uh, toward the preacher, certainly not the gospel that he was seeking to share. And then there were a lot of people that just simply were not home. And it just seemed to be a fruit, fruitless time and it just might as well just uh, head on to the car and go back home. But he decided to uh, give it one more try, and he went to this house that seemed kind of dark. It was the, the yard was grown up a little bit, and uh, he certainly didn't know what to expect when he went there. But he decided, I'm going to give it one more shot, and he went and he knocked on that door and waited for uh, the response and gave it a little time, couldn't hear anybody, no dogs barking. And uh, nobody was coming to the door, and so he, he knocked a second time. And he stood back away from the door, and he waited, continued to listen, looks at the windows. That's the key, man. You look at the windows to see if the blinds move, right? That, that, that's always a telltale sign. No blinds are moving. And normally, after you wait a little while, it's time to move on. But he didn't want to leave. So he knocked again. Still nothing. So he knocks again. Guess what, Adam? Nothing. Nobody come to the door. Finally, he hears some noise coming through the house. And this guy opens the door, and he opens it up slightly and looks out, and he sees the preacher and somebody with him, and he says, can I help you? And he says, yes, sir, I'm from so-and-so Baptist church. And he says, I'm just out here looking for people that need to know about Jesus. He said, well, why did you keep knocking on my door? He says, because I just felt like I needed to keep knocking rather than just walk away. And with that, the gentleman opened up the door a little bit further and invited the preacher in. And he confessed to that preacher everything, the turmoil that had been going on in his life. And he actually showed him the chair and he showed him the rope where he had the noose around his neck and was about to take his life. He just did not want to do so when somebody is standing right outside his door. So he waited, he paused, and he waited until that person left, but he just wouldn't quit knocking. The fellow got saved. Isn't that a wonderful story? The fellow came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I have a question for you. What if he quit knocking? What if he quit and just said, it's no use, I'm not doing any good today, let's just go on home. What if he decided not to even go to that door and say, everybody else has been unkind to me, nobody else has wanted to hear about Jesus, nobody has been at home, it doesn't look like anybody is going to be at this home, and if they are, they're probably not going to be receptive to the gospel. What if he would have just made that decision so many of us often make, what's the point? Let's just call it a day. 
But he listened to that still small voice and that tugging in his heart. Just keep knocking. And the result was a man escaped the power and depths of eternity and hell to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. What if is a question that we often ask. It is a conversation that we have in our heads probably many times more than we have face to face. On one hand, it is a question that inspires us to explore the possibilities. Although public sentiment was that the world was flat, Christopher Columbus entertained the idea, what if it was round? Although he failed hundreds of times, Edison kept coming up with ideas. What if I do it this way? Until he finally created the light bulb. Although they would have, uh, would have to cross the treacherous Atlantic Ocean, the pilgrims set foot in the new world because they had a dream. What if they could worship God freely? William Tyndale gave his life at the stake because he was driven by a purpose. What if the common man could have a copy of the Bible for himself written in his own language? Churches that have seen millions of people saved throughout the years were started throughout the world because someone said, what if we begin a church in this community? Just imagine what God can do. What if unlocks the possibilities of God doing great things. But on the other hand, asking what if will cause us to focus on our greatest fears. We have insurance policies for everything because of the what if. What if I have a car accident? Well, you better have some Alpha Insurance or State Farm, amen? What if I get sick? Well, pull out that Blue Cross Blue Shield card. What if I die? How will I provide for my family? We'll get you some life insurance because of the what if. We'll use the what if as an excuse when we become set in our ways and we're unwilling to try new things. You look at that new food that you've never had before and you question, what if I don't like it? What if it doesn't like me? What if, what if, if I try out for the team, what if I don't make the team? How embarrassed I will be. And I see that pretty girl, and I want to ask her out, but what if she don't like me? Or what if the dad don't like me? Right? You know what I'm talking about. Marriages have turned into a, a divorce as a result of what if. Eve sinned in the garden because the devil got her to doubt God and began to think, what if? There are many once-fired Christians no longer doing anything for God because they went chasing the what-if. So from one perspective, it offers up the hope of something wonderful and a positive, life-changing experience. From the, other, from the other, our hearts become filled with fear. It could possibly destroy our lives. If I had to sum up the book of Exodus, I would call it the book of what if. And when I get through this message this morning and you read through Exodus, you'll see it play out. We're not gonna, I'm not going to preach the whole, the whole book this morning, just so you know. 
Exodus is filled with examples of those who overcame their fears by faithfully believing God could do the impossible. But it's also filled with people who failed to go forward because they were crippled by the possibility of failure. We see that this is how our text begins in chapter 1 in verse number 6. Joseph and all of his brethren have died. And in verse 8, there's a new king in town that never knew Joseph, nor does he appreciate what Joseph did for Egypt during the years of the grievous famine. Back in verse 7, Israel has grown in number. The Bible describes them as being fruitful, that they increased abundantly, that they multiplied, that they waxed exceeding mighty, and all that the land was filled with them. In verse 9, the king reveals to the people his concern. He says that they are more and mightier than the Egyptians. In verse 10, his concern begins to lead to a lot of what-ifs. What if they continue to multiply? What if a war breaks out? What if they side with our enemies and fight against us? What if they get out of the land? And so in verse 11, he makes an executive decision. And that decision is to afflict the Israelites with hard bondage and to cause them to serve with severe harshness. We can relate to a lot of this because most of us have made a simple problem explosive because we overreacted to the unknown. We laid in bed at night and we thought, what if? If we do this, well, what if they react this way? If I say this, well, what if they respond harshly? What if? What if? And we, we think about that, and so we, we overreact, and we, we come in with guns blazing, right? And we come in with harsh language rather than gracious language. And something that really wasn't as big a deal as we thought it was, they weren't even concerned with it. We were more concerned with it than the other individual. But because of our overreaction, it simply exploded in front of us. The Pharaoh's decision to disregard the will of God, Moses kept coming to him and saying, let my people go. His decision to do his own will rather than follow God eventually brought both a series of plagues and death to many people in his nation. Now this morning I want to point out three very important examples that I hope will encourage all of us to not focus on the size of our fears, but rather focus on the greatness and the possibilities with our God. The first, beginning in verse 15, is the what if concerning issues of morality. The what if concerning issues of morality. In an effort to control the population of Israel. The king goes after the kids because the devil will always go to great extremes to keep people in bondage rather than be delivered. When Jesus was born, Herod had all the children in Bethlehem two years and under murdered. So in verse 15, the Pharaoh command, 
offers a command to the midwives. Let's read it together. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra and the name of the other Puah. And he said, what, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and set them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. Imagine having to face that command from the king. Can you imagine being put in that position? We worry about what our friends will think if we choose to walk with God. We are afraid of our family's reaction if we tell them how to get saved. We're afraid of being rejected if we invite someone to church. We're afraid of being reported if we speak about our faith to our co-workers. These ladies were told by the highest authority to murder innocent children. And the questions begin, if I do what I know is right, what if I lose my job? And if I lose my job, how will I pay my bills? If I can't pay my bills, what if we lose our house? And if we, lose, if we lose our house, what if we have to live on the street? What will my family do? What will people say? But notice their response in verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children, the little boys, life. They weren't going to do what the king had told them. And while ours may not be as severe of a dilemma as the midwife's dilemma, we're often faced with difficult choices. There are choices that may affect our relationships, our friendships, our companionships, our fellowships, or whatever other ship you're on board with. But if it is wrong... The most important question is, are we going to do what is right with God? We must have the same attitude as the Hebrew children in Daniel chapter 3. If you're not familiar with that, I want you to turn there. Would you hold your place in Exodus? I want you to go to Daniel chapter 3. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faced with a dilemma. It was noticed that when everyone bowed down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, when the music began to play, it was noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They were not going to worship any other gods. They weren't going to bow down to any idol or any false god. And so it was told the king, and the king told them, Listen, if you don't bow down, I'm going, to, I'm going to fire up the furnace even hotter. And I'm going to throw you in there. You're going to lose your life if you refuse to obey the king. Look in Daniel 3, verse 16. Or verse 15. See the very end of verse 15. It is asked, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands, the king says. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Say, what's that mean? They didn't even pray about it. 
They didn't pray about it. They didn't think about it. They didn't lose one wink of sleep over it. They knew it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you threaten me. It doesn't matter what you face in front of me. The what if here is not what's going to happen to me if I disobey God. The what if here is what, what might God do if I obey him? So they just said, listen, we're not careful. We're not, we're not going to tiptoe around this. We're not going to pray about it. We're just going to tell you like it is in verse 17. If it be so, if you throw us into that fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. That's faith, isn't it? Faith says, listen. If this happens to me, I want you to know that I believe my God can deliver me out of this. I believe that God will see me through this. But I know the question, but what if God doesn't see you through it? What if it doesn't turn out that way? Because we all know this. Yes, there are people who get cancer and God heals, but there are some that we love that perish. So what if... God doesn't show up. What if God doesn't deliver? Well, he has an answer for that, verse 18. But if not, if God doesn't deliver, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We just want it to be known. We're sticking with God. All right? If we go down, we're going we're gonna to go down doing the right thing. Because it is the right thing. So we're just going to trust the Lord with it. Boy, the midwives were faced with a difficult task. Go back to Exodus 1, and verse 20 and 21. These ladies had a much harder decision than I've ever had to make, and they chose God. And look how the Lord responded in verse 20 in their particular case. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God that the Lord made them houses, which means he gave them families of their own. Isn't that just like God? Well, I'm faced with this. The king says we got to kill those little boys, but we're not going to do it because we know that would dishonor God and that would be taken of an innocent life. We are going to obey God and serve the Lord, and we're going to just trust the Lord with whatever happens. And so they did, and God sees that. God knows it. God recognized why you're doing it. He knows your heart. In this particular matter, God came through for them. And he gave them children of their own. God blessed them in a mighty, mighty way. And rather than emphasize what, what might go wrong, we should focus more on the possibility of what God might do if we simply do what is right. Amen? All right. Look at verse 22. The, the what if concerning issues of family. The what if concerning issues of family. Now Pharaoh takes things a bit farther. He sets up a, if you will, a government-run health care system. He charges all of his people to throw every Jewish son in the river. The midwives didn't obey God protected them. God took care of them. He's just going to decide. He says to everyone, if you see a Jewish son, then I want you to throw him into the river. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. I often fear of what kind of world our children are going to grow up in, what they're going to face in the future. I didn't think about it when I was 18. I can't imagine how different my world at 18 was from my parents' world at 18. But I can tell you this, the world of my boys at 18 is a lot different than when I was 18. When I look at my children, I often find myself gazing their future and I think, what if? And sometimes I smile at the possibilities. I just think what God might do with their life. And then sometimes I look at them and I feel overwhelmed with the responsibility of me making the right choices. Because I believe that the best way for our children to find the will of God is for mom and daddy to be in the will of God. Amen. And sometimes I'm simply scared to death. In chapter number two, we're introduced to a family of Levi that have a newborn son during this frightening time. They already have a three-year-old named Aaron, and they have an older daughter named Miriam. And this little boy is absolutely precious as you read through here. He's good-natured. He's just an all-around wonderful child. I mean, they had him for three months, and nobody knew who he was there. That was a quiet baby, amen. That baby never had colic. That, that, that had to be a good-natured little boy. His mother does everything she can to hide him for three months, but you begin to feel her fear in verse number three. Read verse three with me. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him for an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. To daub means to apply something in a crude and hurried way. So we see in verse 3 what she was doing, but I wonder what she was thinking. As she makes that arc of bulrushes and she's and she's quickly, in a very hurried way, she's putting all that slime and pitch and, and trying to cover up every little crack so that that ark would float. I believe that she was thinking, what if? I believe she was thinking, what if, what if I get caught? What if someone sees me? What if, what if she didn't do a good enough job with a pitch and the ark would begin to take on water as it began to float down the river and the baby would eventually sink and go under. I don't know, what if a snake or a crocodile got him? What if whomever found him cast him into the river as the king commanded? One thing's for sure, he's now three months old, she can't hide him any longer. A million things run through a parent's mind when it concerns their children. But she did the only thing any of us can do. And that is to do your very best. Make the best decisions for your family you can make. And then you simply have to trust God. Amen. I can teach them how to drive. But I can't always sit right beside them. Right? Verses 5 and 6. Miriam watches the baby from a distance. Baby's now floating in that water. Miriam 
The older sister is kind of following along. And she wants to see what happens when all of people... Uh, when of all the people, Pharaoh's very own daughter comes strolling down to the river. What if she has the same cruel mind as her father? What if she tries to hurt the baby? And Pharaoh's daughter sends her maid down to fetch it. And when she opens it up, the child begins to cry. And notice what it says in verse 6. Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on him. My, my, my. Of all the people for the Lord to let that child fall in the hands of, he fell in the hands of the daughter of the king, and she had compassion. In verse, let me, let me, let me illustrate this. We're going to have some fun here. Come on, Miss Dee Dee. You sit up front. That's what happens. Come right over here. All right. Huh. Come on, Kylie. Come right over here. You're uh, your mama in this one. Okay? I want you to, um, do you mind kneeling down right there? All right, perfect. All right, I've got, uh, somebody let me borrow their baby right here. Here you go. <gasps> just, just kidding. All right. All right, you're Pharaoh's daughter, okay? Come on up here. Come on, Carly. Come on, hurry. Come on up here. All right. Pharaoh's daughter has her. You're with Pharaoh's daughter, okay? She picks that baby up. Hold his head up, okay? All right, head up. All right, isn't he just beautiful? Yeah, it's actually a girl, but you don't know that, okay? All right, so isn't he just beautiful? Beautiful, you have compassion. You're just moved. You don't have a child of your own. You're just moved. Now, the whole time, Miriam is falling around, right? She's just coming around. Come here, Sarah. Sarah's been following her baby brother, and here she is, and she, she sees, oh, just stand right here, just stand, just stand right here. Mama, what's Mama doing? Mama's doing the only thing Mama can do. She's back home praying. She don't know where her son is right now. She don't know what he's about to face. I'm telling you, especially when you get teenagers, right? You're praying, God, just get them home safely. God, keep them away from, keep them away from wrong. You're praying while they're out having fun. You're back home praying. She's just praying. God, take care of my baby. I did everything I could, Lord. I had him for three months. I kept them quiet. I can't hide him any longer. Now it's at the point I can't do anything but trust you with my son. And I'm just asking you to please take care of my little boy. And Miriam, man, she's just curious. I don't know. Mama might have sent her. I don't know. Maybe she's just curious. She just wants to find out. And look who got him. <gasps> yeah, very good. <gasps> not, not her of all people. But she's holding that baby, right? And she sees that. Come on, Sarah. Sarah comes running. Yeah. Oh, you've got to have someone. 
You got heels on? Oh, you're in heels. I'm sorry, you're about to have some fun. All right? Listen, she, is, she comes there, and she it says this in the Bible. She comes, and she, uh, she talks about the baby, and she says, Hey, hey, would you like for me to go get a Hebrew to nurse that baby for you, to take care of that baby? And, and she says, Yes. Yes, would you please do that? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, listen, how would you go to her? How would you go to Mama? You would be running as far. Mama! Come on, do it. Come on. Mama! 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 No, wait a minute. Mama! Mama! Okay, can't you picture busting through the door? Mama! You would not believe this. And Mama gets up from her knees praying. Oh, my. What? What is wrong? What is wrong with him? Mama, you just got to go. Grab her by the hand and run her there, right? Runs her to the mama, and they, they chit-chat a little bit. This is her baby, she says. You give her back to her. You don't know who she is. He gives that baby back to her. And in verse number 9, she gets to take that baby and gets to raise that baby. Isn't that just like what God would do? Amen? Can you go back and sit down? Thank you all. I appreciate your help. I was very kind to you. Look, look what it says in verse number 9. It says, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. I mean, of all things... She got her baby back and got paid for it. Woo! That sounds like a good deal to me, right? Say, so, I mean, all she could do is trust the Lord. She just could trust the Lord and say, The Lord, Lord, I'm believing in you, and I'm doing everything that I can. And the best that I can can still fail, and it's limited. But I do believe this God, there, you are limitless. Everything is possible with you, and therefore I am trusting you, and I am putting my family in your hands, and I am scared, I'm terrified, I'm worried, I'm concerned. Please, Lord, do this. And again, there's another example there. We can face our fears and try to do it ourselves, and she would have surely lost her child. Amen? She would have lost that little boy. She could have done it herself, and Because she was so afraid and tried to hide that boy, but she could not do it. But when she put her trust in the Lord, it shows an example. That we can listen to our fears, or we can see God do something amazing. That's the example that is given to us. Alright, let's look at the last one. Alright? The what if concerning issues... Of surrender. Years have passed, and now Moses is 40 years old. And he goes for a walk among the Hebrew children when, in verse number 11, he sees an Egyptian smiting one of them. Let's read verse 12 together. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, why did he look this way and that way? Because he's thinking, what if, Andrew? He looks this way, he looks that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
What if someone sees me do this? What if someone finds him? What if I get caught? And so I do my very best to cover it up. Would you hold your place here? We're going to come back in a minute, but go to Acts chapter 7, please. Acts chapter 7. Do you want to know why he was out there? He's now 40 years old. Why, why is he out there? Look in verse 22 of Acts 7. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren. Say, it came into his heart. We say that, don't we? The Lord put this on my heart. The Lord led me to do this. The Lord put me in this direction. It, the Lord put it on his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them in verse 24 suffer wrong, he defended him. And avenge him that, he, that was oppressed, and he smote the Egyptian. We just read that in Exodus 2. In verse 25, for he supposed, this is, this is why he did it. Why did he kill the Egyptian? Because Moses supposed, he believed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. God had already put in his heart. He is going to help his brethren. He's going to help the people of Israel. And so he gets out there and he sees them and he sees an Egyptian being uh, very hateful and, and uh, hurtful to one of his brethren. And so when they left, he looks around and he sees nobody and he gets that Egyptian and tells him to come here and he, and, and, and he, and he kills him. And he drags him over there and he buries him in the sand. Because that's what young men do, don't we? We, we, we do everything with our strength, right? 40 years old, you're in the prime of your life. I mean, you're tough. You're going to lead. God's put this on my heart. We're gonna, I'm going to lead you out of this. And I'm here to be your helper, your deliverer. Look at verse 26. After killing the Egyptian, Moses, he goes out the next day. And this time, he doesn't see a Hebrew and Egyptian. He sees two Hebrews fighting each other. And so he plays the role of peacemaker. Middle of the verse, he says, Sirs, you're brethren. Why do you wrong one to another? Why, why are the two of you fighting each other? You, you have a common enemy. Why are y'all fighting each other? I don't know. Why do, why do Christians fight each other? It's beyond me. We should know better, shouldn't we? He's fighting. He said, why are you fighting each other? Well, the thing he had done to the Egyptian that he thought he had done in secret turns out was actually known. And not only that, but the people didn't care who he was. Let's read verse 27 and 28 together. But he that did his neighbor wrong pushed Moses away, saying... Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Boy, we've all said that at some point, right? Who made you king? Who made you the leader? Remember doing that as a kid? Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Who do you think you are? And then he says in verse 28, 
Are you going to kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? <gasps> I thought that was hid. Exodus 2.14 says when Moses heard that, he feared. And so what did he do in verse 29? He fled. He ran. And he fled to Midian. And there he spent the next 40 years in verse 40. Have you ever been in a place where you were sure you were right, but it didn't work? A short time ago, God had given Moses a vision for his people. He was going to get them out of their bondage. He was going to deliver them. Today, he's left everything he's ever known, and instead, he's running for his life. So what did he do there? Well, this is what I believe he did there. I know that he married and had two sons. I know that he became a shepherd and took care of a flock. But don't you think he stood over that flock daydreaming? What if... I misinterpreted what God was trying to tell me. What if I had my chance and I blew it? Or here's one. What if God's through with me? Go back to Exodus 3. Forty years pass. Moses is now 80 years old. He looks, up, he looks up into the mountain and he sees a strange glow. Let's read it together. Exodus 3 verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here am I. Now some of you today might be thinking that God is done with you. And I know that happens from time to time. I hear that thinking. God, God's through with me. God's done with me. And, and others might think that God wants nothing to do with them because of mistakes that they have made in their life. And I've learned through experience that if you want God to be through with you, then yeah, you're probably done. Not because God's done, just because you won't let him do anything. But if you're still seeking him, he's still got things for you to do. And when Moses saw that unusual bush burning, the Bible says that he went to see that great sight. And look at verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him. Hmm. If all you want to do is sit in that chair and say, I wonder, I wonder what that thing is over there. I wonder what God's doing. That looks like God. Huh. I wonder what he's doing over there. Well, you ought to get up and go check it out. Nah. It's pretty comfortable right here. Anybody out there? It's pretty comfortable right here. God did not reveal his plan 
until Moses got up and went to see what God wanted to do. Stop sitting. If you just want to see it, then God will just let you see it. But if you still want to live an exciting life, get up and go see what God wants you to do. I ought to get amens all over the place. In verses 7 through 10, God simply reminded him of what he told him years ago. Let's read verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land and a large, into a land flowing with milk and honey, and the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of, Moses, out of Egypt. And Moses responds in verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel? Moses didn't have the same step or the mind that he did when he was 40. He didn't have the fight in him when he was 40. When he was 40, he'd just see him and he'd just go kill him himself. He'd take the fight to him. He's after it. But right now, he doesn't, he doesn't have that fight. Now he looks at himself and says, Who am I? He's been humbled by God. He's at a place where he's not sure that God could still use him. He didn't have that fire, the strength, or the zeal that he once had. But all he had was a simple promise from the Lord. And the Lord said in verse 12, read it, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. Who am I, Moses said, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? And God said, it don't matter who you are. What matters is who I am, and I will be with you, no matter what you face, no matter what you're dealing with. God is not just calling 20 and 30 and 40-year-olds, amen? He's still calling 50 and 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds to serve him and be a leader of his people. That's what God wants to do. So in closing, we have seen through the example of the midwives that it is always better to trust God and courageously do what is right, then sacrifice your testimony for the Lord. Can I say this, and I'll say this as a disclaimer. I can't promise you that everything will work out extraordinary. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that you don't lose a child. I can't promise you that. All I'm showing is that in these passages, it is always better to put your confidence in the Lord than to try to live quietly in fear. Always put, may we always put ourselves under the mercy of God and the possibilities of what God might do knowing that we are only limited in what we can do. There's only so much we can do. But with God, all things are possible. We have seen 
that we may not have all the answers when it comes to leading our families, but it's better to raise our kids for the Lord and simply trust Him than it is to do it on our own without Him. And we've seen that life doesn't always work. Can our, can our musicians come? We've seen that life doesn't always work according to our schedule. It seemed like it should have happened 40 years earlier. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have big plans for us. We just have to be willing to answer him when he's calling us today. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, I got a question for you. What if you continue down the same path? Where's it going to lead you? You've always, gone, you've always done it without the Lord. You've always done it without Jesus Christ. You've lived your life. You've got the fruit. You see the fruit of it. Well, what if you continue down that path? Is it going to lead to better things? And someone say, yeah, but if I follow Jesus Christ, what if, what if my family disowns me? What if all this stuff has to change? Well, is it, better, is it better to go with God or is it better to go your way? Knowing Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. What if we learn to trust God rather than emphasize our fears? And Peter's biggest trouble was surrendering to God's will. What if we surrender our will to the Lord? What if God might do the extraordinary in our life rather than us just doing ordinary things? Can we bow our heads?